disciples. While all the people were listening, Jesus said to his disciples, Beware of the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes and love to be greeted in the marketplaces and have the most important seats in the synagogues and the places of honour at banquets. They devour the widows' houses and for a show make lengthy prayers. Such men will be punished most severely. As he looked up, Jesus saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. He also saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. I tell you the truth, he said, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Anne. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And as we look into it, we pray that your Holy Spirit will bring it alive in each of our lives to better equip us to serve you as you deserve. You are an amazing God. And we thank you for all that you give us and all that you bless us with. Amen. If you're a regular here, you'll know that we're doing a series entitled The Nation's Favourite Bible Stories. And some of them may seem a little unusual for be, to be chosen as that, but they really are well worth reading through and, and studying through. The series does throw up some very interesting contrasts. Last week, Matt was speaking on the raising of Lazarus. And the reading, which Mo read so well, was 44 verses long. Today's reading about the widow's might is four verses long. I'm not sure which is the better or easier, but I know which Anne preferred reading. It might seem, as it's only four verses, to be a minor event in the life and ministry of our Lord Jesus. But I trust that as we study the event a little more closely, we'll see that there's a lot for us to learn in this short passage. This event is recorded in just two of the Gospels, Matthew and Luke, uh, sorry, Mark and Luke, uh, Mark chapter 12. It comes towards the end of both of the Gospels. And it comes after what's been termed as the triumphal entry, which is what we celebrate on Palm Sunday, when we remember Jesus riding into Jerusalem on a donkey and being hailed by the crowds, Hosanna, Hosanna, they were shouting. Although Jesus and his disciples don't remain in Jerusalem after that momentous occasion, they do return from time to time. 
Jesus does continue his teaching and the questioning and the opposition still continue. For instance, as Anne read to us, when this incident concerning the widow takes place, the Sadducees, who didn't believe in the resurrection, have just challenged Jesus regarding marriage in heaven. And the teachers of the law, who like to pick finicky bits, they've been discussing with him whether the Messiah was simply an earthly descendant of King David. In other words, not divine as such. And this prompts the condemnation that we saw in the first part of our reading regarding those teachers, whoever they were, who loved to show off, who loved to parade around in their flowing white robes with elaborate tassels and who took, often, advantage of those particularly widows who were in financial straits. In both of the Gospels, Mark and Luke, we see that when this incident takes place, Jesus is seated in the temple. I mentioned a couple of weeks ago that this was the custom for those who were involved in teaching and in discussing things concerning their faith. They sat down to teach. We don't. They were almost certainly in the court of the treasury into which both men and women were allowed, although women could go no further than that. And this was the place where the offerings were made in a somewhat different practice than which we follow today. In the court of the treasury, there were 13 collection boxes called shofaroth, shofaroth. And they were shaped like trumpets inverted and the money was put or the gift was put in the top. And the 13 were labeled so that one could see where one's offering went. You could give to whichever of the causes you would need it, you wanted to. In our story, we read that Jesus was watching what was going on. As he looked up, Jesus saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury, watching them put their offerings into the shofaroth. This wasn't being nosy. This was a public place. But it was also a place where some liked to make a real show of how much they were giving and where the offering was going to. And on this occasion, Jesus looked up and there were those throwing in quite large amounts of money. And then along comes a widow, obviously very poor, who puts in just two small copper coins. In the Greek, these are called lepta. And when our friends went to live in Corfu, it was before the euro. And we had drachma and we had lepta. And the leptas were nothing. They were even less in the time of Jesus. They were too little 
copper coins. The authorized version tells us that these two coins were worth one farthing or one quarter of a penny for those of you youngsters who don't remember farthings. No doubt there was some present who saw this and sneered. Huh, look at her giving such a small amount. But the truth is that it doesn't matter how much one gives. What matters is the generosity, I say the spirit behind the giving. As I say, it doesn't matter how much one gives. Although in saying that, I'm reminded of one vicar we had who'd been a missionary in Africa. And uh, he told us he, he had a habit of repeating sermons through the years. So Anne and I heard on at least two and probably three occasions the story that he told quite regularly that when he was in Africa, finished speaking, the collection plate went round. When it reached the front, he looked at it and if it wasn't enough, he sent it back for another go. I haven't seen Matt do that yet, but you never know. Anyway, Jesus saw this and said of the widow that she had given more than all of these supposedly pious people had put in together. You see, the widow knew the value of her gift, small though it was. And Jesus saw beyond the value of the gift. He saw the heart of the giver, not just the gift. King David had a heart like this, and how one only has to read the Davidic Psalms to see how much he loved the Lord and how his life was centered around serving God in so many ways. And uh, in our, <coughs> excuse me, in our drop-in Bible studies on Thursdays a while ago, we were going through the book of Samuel. And there's a wonderful story in there about David's attitude of heart towards giving to the Lord. David wants to build an altar to the Lord and he wants to build it in a particular place. And it's a place, a threshing floor belonging to a man called Arama. David asks the man, Arama, to sell him the threshing floor so that he could build the altar. And Arana, um, perhaps in awe of the king, says, oh, no, I can't sell it you. You have it. You have it for nothing. And David resists this, saying, I insist on paying you for it. I will not sacrifice to the Lord my God something that costs me nothing. I will not sacrifice to the Lord something that costs me nothing. <clears throat> An interesting thought, isn't it? A gift to God, indeed perhaps a gift to anyone else, a gift that costs nothing is worth nothing. If, as we should, we acknowledge that everything that we have comes from God, then it should be a joy and a privilege to give back to him. 
we're going to be learning, we heard it at the start of the service, we're going to be learning a lovely new song, Everything. He gives me everything. It's an acknowledgement of this amazingly generous God. It's a privilege to give back to him. And you never know what blessings might occur. This might take a moment, but I want to read a little story. And those of you who have heard it, I apologize, but it's worth listening to twice. And it's a story Nicky Gumble told us. What you give to God, he multiplies. Hattie May Wyatt, a six-year-old God, lived near Grace Baptist Church in Philadelphia, USA. The Sunday school was very crowded, and Russell Conwell, the minister, told her that one day they would have buildings big enough to allow everyone to attend. She said, I hope you will. It's so crowded, I'm afraid to go in. And Russell said, when we get the money, we'll construct one large enough to get all the children in. Two years later, she was eight, Hattie Mae died. After the funeral, Hattie's mother gave Russell a little bag that they'd found under their daughter's pillow. It contained 57 cents that she'd saved up. And with it was a note in her handwriting to help build bigger so that more children can go to Sunday school. The minister changed all that money into pennies, one cent pieces, and offered each one for sale. He got 200 pennies and $50. 54 of the pennies came back. And that 250 pounds began to multiply. They were sold by the new Wyatt Mite Society. We're reading about two mites. Wyatt Mite Society. And in this way, her 57 cents kept on multiplying. 26 years later, in a talk entitled The History of the 57 Cents, Russell explained the results of her 57 cent donation. A church with a membership of over 5,600. A hospital where tens of thousands of people had been treated. 80,000 youngsters going through university. And 2,000 people going out to preach the gospel. 57 cents. God multiplies what we give. And of course, giving isn't just about money, it's about time and talents as well. We need to remember that it's the Lord that we're giving, 
And unless we support the ministry and the fabric of the church, there'll be no church for us to attend, let alone one big enough to take a congregation of 5,600. There'll be no fellowship for us to be part of. We, we've recently had the opportunity to fill a form where we can offer to be part of the life of the church. For instance, reading the lesson, being part of the welcome team, leading the intercessions, reading the scripture lesson, all sorts of things. And of course, not everyone can be involved in this way. However, perhaps the most important way of serving wasn't on those forms. I'm speaking, of course, about the need for each one of us to be involved in praying for the ministry team, for the social team, for the PCC, the admin team, the Love Southbourne team, and so on. I'm reminded of another vicar who was visiting an elderly lady who was almost housebound. And as one does, you know, politely, he said, what sort of a day have you had? And she said, oh, it's been wonderful. I've been all around the parish this morning. And he said, what do you mean? You don't get out. She said, I prayed my way all round the parish. There is something each one of us can do, even if we're unable to contribute in any other way. We have the parish directory. We can pray for the three or four people, families, that are listed each day of the month. February, you have to pray for 28, 29, 30, 31, four days, but that's okay. God knows. We have the grapevine listing the things of the week that we can pray for. Even if we can't be involved in them, we can be involved through our prayers. We have an awesomely generous God. Let us be generous in our work, walk, and witness for him and with him. Amen.